0: I want to offer my sincere sorrow for many of you that, like me this morning, woke up very disappointed because of the lottery. Now let me explain to you why my disappointment. <laughs> let me explain to you my disappointment. Let me explain it to you, so there's no misunderstanding. I too was very disappointed when I woke up. Um, you may have heard the joke. There's 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 a joke. It's gone kind of around. It's about the blonde who's praying. For, for the numbers. Have you heard this one, you know? And she's praying for the numbers, and she's, dear Lord, please let me win the lottery, and numbers come, and she doesn't win. Dear Lord, let me win the lottery, and the numbers come in, and she doesn't win. Finally, in exasperation, she's like, Lord, I keep praying. Why won't you let me win the lottery? And the voice from heaven comes out and says, honey, work with me. Buy a ticket. Um, so I, I'm, I'm disappointed, but not because I didn't win, because I didn't buy a ticket. I'm disappointed that somebody didn't win, because I'm tired of getting stuck in line behind all you lottery ticket buyers. I walk in Publix the other day, and the line's out the door, and some of you I saw there. So, um, and so I, I'm not casting stones. Don't, don't hear that. I'm just having a little fun. But I'm ready for somebody to win, so I don't have to hear about it or stand in line behind it, and it's going to get even more crazy, um, you know, one it's like 1.3 billion. It's it's I I saw something this morning. I can't remember. It was a it was a social media post, and it, it said it was it said what each of the numbers mean on your lottery ticket. Did you see this? It's like the first one is how many more months of car payments you still have. The second is how many how much uh, how many months or how many years you still have to work. The third was you know how much you have in your bank account. You know, it was one of those kind of things. Um, but but anyway. Um, Let me make a quick announcement this morning. I wanted to do this now because I wanted to do it at a time when I knew um, that kind of people were a little more tuned in. Sometimes you're a little faded out during the opening announcements. Um, Because I want you to hear this so everybody's clear. Because this is one of those things that will be confusing if you don't fully understand what's going to happen. January 31st, if you saw the newsletter, we are going to have a special Sunday celebration service. We're going to do something a little different out of the norm. So rather than three services on that Sunday, we're going to have two services. Now, the first service at 8.15 is exactly the way it always is, in here, inside, normal. So say, so hear me say that, 8.15 people. The service does not change on January 31st, okay? What changes is we are combining the second and third service, we're putting it at 10.30, and we're taking it outside, Okay, so we're going to do an, a service on the lawn. Yes, I know it's January. Yes, I know we're gambling a little bit. It was the only day that worked, and we wanted to do it before our friends from the north started heading back up north, and it's an early Easter. So we're going to do something a little different. We hope it's going to be a, a kind of a, a Florida winter day. It's going to be a nice day, um, as I say on a rainy, dreary Florida <laughs> winter day. Um, and we're going to take a second. And immediately following that, we're going to do a church-wide service. Um, um, Meal celebration meal outside. We're gonna gonna bring in some some pulled pork and some things, and we're gonna invite everybody to stay and have lunch. Or invite you if you don't want to come to the outside service to come back and to be a part of it. So so just understand we're gonna next week there'll be inserts in the bulletins, and there's gonna be an opportunity if you're interested in coming and eating for you to to let us know you're coming. Just because we want to know. There's no cost. We just want to know how much. How much to prepare for, how much to be ready for. And then, if you want to bring a dish to share, you'll be invited to do that, but it's not necessarily expected. It's an, it's an opportunity. Some people like to do that. We want to give you some of you are great cooks. We want to give you an opportunity to do that um, and kind of be able to guess or, n- or know what to expect. But uh, there's no cost, and, and you can come to one or whatever, whichever service you want to, you can come to both. Because we know not everybody's going to want to be outside for a service. But we thought that would be something kind of fun and different. So we're going to do that and do some neat stuff with that. So I want you to hear kind of what's going on so you don't get confused. January 31st, this service does not change. So you still have that option. So just want you um, so that, you know, like I said, it always. anytime you change things, it, uh, it throws people off a little bit. So don't be thrown off. Don't be worried. That, and it's a one-time thing. And then we're going to come back. So anyway, or I shouldn't say one time. We might do it annually, but it's not going to be an every week thing. So, uh, so anyway, um, the other thing, let me announce real fast, if anybody's able, we're back kind of into our normal rhythm, whatever that is around here. Um, but after worship, we're going to be pulling a couple of the choir rows out to get ready for the praise band. So if anybody can stay and help us do that, just take a few moments, that would be wonderful. That's going to be a normal thing. So every Sunday we'll be doing that. So um, just, just make note of that. Okay, let's get to our scripture this morning. Luke uh, chapter 3. We're going to read two sections of that, verses 15 through 17, which, if you were here a few weeks ago, I read from this text. So this may go, you may sound familiar because it's a John the Baptist text. But then we're going to jump to 21 through 23, which speaks to the baptism of Jesus. So let's begin. Verse 15 of Luke's Gospel, third chapter. It says, The people were waiting expectantly... And we're all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John extorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Now to verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when his ministry began. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, help us here to receive, to be open to your word to us today. As you speak, just open our hearts to receive the goodness of your word, the truth of your gospel, the hope of our faith. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. I assume there's nobody here who has not heard the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. I'm, I'm just going to assume nobody's unfamiliar with that never-ending, repetitive song that we sing at, uh, at Christmas. When... when um, when I was at, and Tony and I and some of you were at, the concert in St. Petersburg that the St. Pete Opera did that Jenny Godfrey sang at, they ended with a version of the 12 Days of Christmas that used a different style of music for each day. It changed, and it, it, was, it was wonderful, but it was like a 20-minute song. I mean, it was, it was the never-ending song. Uh, and that's what I always kind of think of when I think about the 12 Days of Christmas. But I'm sure many of you know, but none of you might know, when does the 12 days of Christmas begin? What day does the 12 days begin? It begins, actually, I think it actually begins on Christmas, but you're right. It begins on Christmas, and it ends on what day? I heard it. January 5th. January 5th, the day before Epiphany. Those are the 12 days of Christmas. And, and if some of you are um, into, you know, there's different traditions which we've talked about around Christmas, but one of the traditions is you don't take your Christmas decorations down until Epiphany. So for those of you that left your Christmas decorations up, good for you. Those of you that still have your Christmas decorations up. Right. I'd love to tell you we did it because we're into the Epiphany tradition. We just haven't made the time yet to take down our decorations. But, but that's, that's the 12 days, and it ends with Epiphany, which is one of the words that we use in the church. It marks one of the, the recognitions and, and celebrations in, in the life of the church. Uh, we hear about Epiphany most often in this part of Florida, in this part of the country, because of the, the festival in Tarpon Springs and, and the, uh, the Epiphany celebration that draws thousands upon. It is the largest Epiphany celebration in the Western Hemisphere. I did not know this in, in Tarbon Springs. I knew it was a big deal. But Epiphany has different recognitions depending on various church traditions. In the, the Western Church, a lot of Protestantism, uh, Roman Catholicism, Epiphany marks the visit of the Magi, the visit of the wise men to the, to the young Christ child. Uh, but in the Eastern Church, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, it recognizes the baptism of Jesus. And that's that's what they they celebrate at Tarpon Springs and they throw the cross in and and all the young men dive in and it's it's one of those it's a wonderful celebration. I've never actually anybody been to that? Anybody ever gone? Okay, a few of you. I I never have. It's one of those things I, I need to do one day, but I can't imagine what the crowds are like over there on, on Epiphany. But the Sunday after Epiphany is is universally recognized as the Baptism of Our Lord Sunday. That's what today is, the baptism of our Lord, and and many traditions recognize that, and they focus on uh, the baptism of Jesus and what that means for us, and that's what we're doing today. We're talking about the baptism of Jesus, which Luke really just describes in a couple verses. I mean, Luke's really very succinct in what he describes as the baptism or the events that he describes as the baptism of Jesus, Uh, Matthew and, and John, they, they give some more deeper context to the, to the story and to the, to the events. But when we look at this event, this significant moment in the life of Jesus, we get some wonderful insight into why baptism is so important to us. Because baptism is a pretty much a universal recognition in the Christian church. Now, we do it differently. I know there are different traditions. Uh, you know, We do it different than our Baptist friends, and, and some traditions do it different than we do. And, and I know there's, there's some you know, theological diversity around how we do baptism, dunking and sprinkling and in the river or in the pool or, for me, preferably in the hot tub. Um, LAUGHTER you know, and at and, and ages and things. I, I get that. And those are worthy conversations and those are important to have. But that's not what I I'm not here today to make a, a theological case for doing baptism one way over another. What I what I want us to recognize is, is rather why this unites us, why as Christians around the world Episcopalians and Lutherans and non-denominationals and Baptists and Methodists and every other Roman Catholics, why this is so important to us. This is a sacrament of the church. This is something we do because Jesus did it. And, and he calls us into this, this to receive this, this special sacrament that comes with and is, is part and parcel with our acceptance of faith and our acceptance of coming to Christ and receiving the gift of God through the Holy Spirit. And so we do that today in this remembering of Jesus who is baptized there in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And when we look at Jesus' baptism, we get some wonderful insights into why baptism is so important to us. So let's talk about what some of those are. The first thing, baptism and coming to faith, accepting Christ, is an incredible act of humility. It is a powerful and a significant act of humility. And Jesus models that humility. Jesus, the Word made flesh. Jesus, the one who angels sing about and wise men visited. The incarnate God made flesh. Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. And if you know in some of the other Gospels, John didn't want to do it. And John was like, no, 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 we've got this order backwards. I should be kneeling before you, and yet you are coming to kneel and be baptized by me. And Jesus insists, and John does. But Jesus models for us humility. Philippians chapter 2, it's called the Kenosis Hymn, when Paul says, of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not equate equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He humbled himself, taking on the form of a slave. Jesus comes humbly. And we're called in our baptism and in our confession of faith equally to call, become humbly. Because baptism reminds us that God does for us what we are incapable of doing for ourselves. And that's what the water symbolizes. The water is not the significance. It's the symbolism of what that water means. As God pours over us, washes away our sin, washes away our iniquity, washes away our failures, washes away the chains that would bind us and would hold us back. Jesus reminds us that God does that for us when we come humbly. The problem is that's counter to our nature. That's counter to our instincts. That's not the way we're wired. There's a story told of three men that were sitting around a dinner table one night, and they were talking about how you knew you had achieved something in life. What are the things you knew that you had done something, you were significant, you were important, you were famous, you'd made it. And the first guy says, well, you know you've made it, you're famous, you're somebody when you're invited to the White House to have dinner with the president. The second guy said, no, 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 you're wrong. It's when you're invited to the White House to have dinner with the president and the hotline rings and he doesn't answer it. (laughs) And the third guy said, no, 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 you're both wrong. It's when you're invited to the White House to have dinner with the president, the hotline rings and he does answer it. And after listening for a minute, he hands it to you and says, here, this calls for you. The point is, we recognize significance. We recognize value. We say that you've made it. You're somebody. You're important. When you elevate, when you climb the ladder, when you become recognized, when you become somebody, Jesus says, in the way of Christ, which always flies countercultural, he says, no, let me tell you, when you're somebody, when you kneel humbly before God, when you go down and you come, Jesus did it. He says, because in this, we are all on equal ground. I want you to hear that. We're all on equal ground. There is none. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We create hierarchies. We put people closer to God because of their perceived holiness. Some of you do it to me. I hate it when you do it to me because I know me and I prefer not to be on that pedestal. But but sometimes I've had people say, respectfully, and, I, and th- no judgment here, but they'll say, well, would you pray for us because you're closer to God? Says who? <laughs> I'll pray for you, but just like I want you praying for me. But I'm praying for you not because I've climbed this way, but because I hope that I've been humble enough to go this way, to get down on my knees before God humbly and to, to Allow God's work. I want to tell you, I saw, I saw something. just thought about this. I saw it a couple weeks ago, but it, it stirred me. I mean, it has, it has just moved me beyond, I think I can, I can explain to you, but I came up on a Friday night. We have the, the Hispanic ministry. It's an independent church, but they, they, they meet in the chapel on Friday nights and Sunday nights. Many of you know this. Some of you don't. And um, Pastor Marcus is the pastor there. And on one Friday night, uh, I had gotten a phone call. Uh, his daughter had inadvertently taken his keys and he couldn't get in. And I happened to be home and so I was able to go and open up the church for him. And so he went in and I went into the office for a few moments to do a few things. And, um, and I came out. I wasn't sure if he was still there because I couldn't see his truck. So I, um, I walked to the door of the church on the side and I just peeked in and, and he was on his hands and knees at the altar before God praying, just by himself in there, just laying out before God praying. And it just, it moved me to see this, this man just humbly before God. And I don't know, and, and I didn't stick around. It wasn't my conversation. I didn't need to eavesdrop on his tone with the Lord. But I knew, you know, he's just seeking the Lord's Spirit. That's, that's what baptism is, and that's what our faith does, is we come humbly before God, even, even playing field, because we all equally need the Lord. There's a, there's a story, the, the Habsburg, the, the ruling family at one point in, in Austria, there's a, a church in Vienna, uh, Austria, where the royal funerals used to be. And the story's told that when they would have these royal funerals, They'd have these great processions. And there would be a guard that would lead the procession. And they would get to the gate of, the, of the, um, the, the, the church. The gate would be closed. And the guard who led the procession would knock. And the priest would come on the other side of this kind of this solid gate and would say, Who seeks admittance into this holy chamber? And the guard would say, It is the aposto- His apostolic ma- majesty, the high emperor. And the priest would say, I do not know him. Second knock. Who, again the question, who seeks entrance into this holy chamber? And again the answer, it is the high and holy emperor. And the priest again would respond, I do not know him. Third time the knock would come. And again the priest would ask, who seeks entrance into the chamber? And the third time the guard would say, a lowly sinner, your brother, and the door would open. Ah, that's what God seeks. Those who come humbly, that's what Jesus models for us. God does for us what we're incapable of doing for ourselves as he pours his grace into us. So we are washed clean. And then we're claimed. We're given a new identity. That's what Baptist want you to hear, again, the words just there in these just few verses. And you've probably heard them before. But when he's baptized, it says that, um, verse 22, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven. You are my son, whom I love, and you I am pleased. But what I want you to hear those two words, my, my son. Now, of course, we recognize that in Jesus. Jesus had a unique relationship with the Father as part of that trinity, as God incarnate. But but what was true for Jesus is also true for us, that in our moment of baptism, our faith, our coming to the Lord, because I know some of us are baptized in infants, but in our moment of receiving the faith, of professing faith, God envelops us, and he identifies and claims us. You are my son. You are my daughter. It is deeply personal. It is the way a, a parent envelops a child. That's what God does for us. Invites us into a very near and real relationship. All people are, are children of God in one way or another. But, but in our baptism, in our profession of faith, we receive that relationship in a real and an intimate way. That's what baptism does. I want you to hear that. I want you to imagine God speaking those words to you. You are my son or my daughter. Think about what that means. I go regularly to to concerts and dance recitals. That's kind of the rhythm of of my life now because either Ryan's in a concert or Cassie's in a dance recital or something else. And when I go, I mean, I enjoy seeing all the kids there. I root for them all. But I'm gonna tell you what, when, when Ryan's up there in a band, or a group playing, there is one kid I see. One. Because that's my son. That's my son. When, when the dance is going on and Cassie's up there dancing, I want them all to do great. But there's one girl I see. And thank God for that red hair, it makes it easy to spot. <laughs> that's my daughter. I want you to imagine that's the way God sees you. My. All of us, but, but that intimate, connected, passionate caring about what's going on in your life. That's what baptism does. It gives us an identity. Baptismo is the Greek word. And it, and it would speak to, and it, it, cause it was used in a lot of ways, but it would speak to one of the things that they would do to be baptismal was to take a cloth and to dip it into a, a colored dye because it gave it a new identity, a new look. It became something more beautiful. Oh, that's what God does mine. Let me, let me begin to create a new thing in you as part of this family, part of my family. So God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God claims us. And then God does something that I think all too often I've overlooked. In fact, a number of years ago, I talked about the same kind of text. And I talked about being named and claimed. But I left off something. Because when God names us, and he claims us, he then aims us. He aims us. He makes us ready for the work in which we're called. I want you to hear how this text ended, the portion that I read. This is the verse that I've just kind of glossed over so many times. Verse 23 said this, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Now it doesn't seem kind of seems like a kind of a Not not a terribly significant line. Jesus was 30 when he began his ministry. But don't lose the fact that this is pronounced on the heels of his baptism. Jesus comes out of the river, and he moves into that which he was called to. He begins his ministry. He begins to do those very same things that we know him to be about, his compassion, his care, his healing, his love. But baptism was the propellant into his ministry. When you are baptized, when you come to the church and confess your faith, you're ordained for ministry. You are called to ministry. You are aimed, and your life is now marked by Christ. You're called to something. Now, it may not mean standing in front of a congregation and preaching or singing, but you're called to ministry. Again, let me go back to John Pickett. because What a wonderful example. He's called to ministry in his baptism and his confession of faith, and he lived into it. That's who we're called to be. We are claimed, we are named, and then we are aimed to the world to be ambassadors for Christ. There's a story told from the early days of Ford Motor Company and Henry Ford. And there in Detroit, when the machinists were working, there was kind of an unwritten policy, if you will, where the machinists very often would help themselves to some extra tools and car parts and they would begin to accumulate them and collect them in their own homes. It was against company policy, but the managers never did anything about it. One day, one of these machinists came to faith in Christ, and he was baptized. And the very next day, he went into his garage or wherever it was. He gathered all his tools and his parts, and he took them back to his work, and he laid them down before his manager. And he confessed that he had stolen them, and he asked for forgiveness. The manager was so moved by this, he immediately cabled Henry Ford, who was in Europe, and told him what happened. When Henry Ford heard this, he cabled back and he said, this is what you need to do. You need to dam the Detroit River and baptize the entire plant. <laughs> now think about it, though. Shouldn't that be true? Shouldn't it be that when we are baptized in Christ, when we confess in Christ, our lives Get aimed in a new trajectory. And people see that and think, I want everybody to be baptized because this person lives a life that is worthy and honorable and of Christ. And boy, shouldn't the world hunger to see more of that. That's who we're called to be. You're Aimed. Man, people should see you and go, I don't know what it is, but if they've been baptized, I want to be baptized. I want to know Jesus. That's who we're called to be. Brothers and sisters, we're washed. Baptism is the washing. We know that. But don't forget, we're made ready. We're made ready in the power of the Holy Spirit to go and do the things we've been called to do. Let's embrace that. Let's embrace that. When you leave today, embrace it. We're not perfect. We won't get it always right. But remember, we are washed in Christ. We're made clean. But we're also made ready for the ministry to which he's called. Let's live into that. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your call upon our lives and for your blessings, your presence, your forgiveness, and your grace. We come humbly before you, empowered by your Spirit, and sent forth into the mission field for which we've been called. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.